Well, welcome to week two of our reboot series here at Emmanuel. We have um, kind of dove off into this subject last week, talking about how we feel sometimes when we're stuck and we're not really able to do anything and we're just kind of spinning our wheels and we're in a rut and the best thing that we can do for ourselves and for our internal system is just to reboot it, right? It's just to kind of, kind of get a fresh start, kind of reset back to, if you would, factory settings and kind of get back to the things that we know that we're supposed to be doing. Uh, sometimes we feel like we're a little overwhelmed. Sometimes we feel like life is happening around us. And so the best thing I believe that we can do is, is kind of just reboot. Maybe you feel distance from God. Maybe you feel like uh, you're not really distant, but you're not really spiritually awakened either, right? I think I, I tried to say this last week. I don't know if I did a good job of that or not. Uh, this doesn't necessarily mean that you're doing anything wrong. Right? It doesn't mean that you're in the middle of some secret sin or that you've got some uh, you know, dark thing that you're kind of working through or whatever. It just means that I think most of us would say that we're not doing anything wrong. We're just not doing anything. Right? We're just kind of spinning our wheels. It doesn't feel like uh, we're, we're moving anywhere. Our theme verse for this, uh, this series is on the screen. It's Isaiah 43, 18 and 19 it's where God speaks and says, Forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I'm doing a new thing. And now it springs up, do you not perceive it, right? Because I think most of the time, the things that draw us into those ruts, the things that kind of make us spin our wheels are things that we've done in the past. Our mistakes, the kind of sin that maybe we feel like disqualifies us from God working and moving in our life. And sometimes we just feel like, well, I can't because I used to. Or I can't because I did struggle. Uh, maybe even some of that struggle's uh, still a little fresh. Maybe it's kind of got a little bit of remnant still in your life. But, but a lot of the times we're, we're so stuck in the past that we're not able to see what God's trying to do right now in our right now. And so I think when we talk about this idea of rebooting and kind of, kind of getting back to what we need, I, I was thinking about how uh, we, we kind of... We get stuck a lot like the, remember the rainbow wheel, on, if you have a Mac, the little rainbow wheel that comes up when your Mac is thinking and it takes a little bit long. Or, or, or maybe the spinning red wheel on Netflix that just spins and spins and spins and spins. And there's two types of people that, that, that kind of come out when those things happen, right? One of them kind of just assesses the situation, maybe hits the back button or the escape key once or twice. Kind of looks at the screen and says, well, that's kind of weird. Let's just sit here for a minute and see what happens. And then there's the other person who just continually clicks the button on the remote over and over and over and over and over, and over again, right? Normally, it's accompanied by waving their arms around and yelling at whatever device they're trying to do. They hit every button on the keyboard even harder than normal, thinking that would make the computer do something that it's not doing in the moment. It's normally accompanied by some words that you're probably not supposed to think or say. It's also probably accompanied by uh, the, the, the description of how cheap the product is that you have, right? This piece of junk, it's not, I, I hate this TV. And we kind of get real frustrated in the moment. And I think that you know who you are, right? Some of you know who your spouse is. My wife is watching from home this morning, and she's a button clicker. And, like, she just keeps clicking and clicking. I'm like, babe, like, just hang on just a second. Because the button clicking never stops the entire time, right? You just keep hitting buttons just trying to figure out, trying to make it do something. But... If we're going to use that kind of analogy in our spiritual life, we're sensing this, this spinning wheel of apathy or spiritual apathy in our life. We're kind of we're feeling a little disconnected from God, and we have one or two responses there as well. One, we kind of sit back and we do nothing. 
And, and we hope that at some point God would rip the roof off of our house and speak down to us some clear message without us having to do anything at all. We just want to sit. Or we over, you know, overcompensate. We dive into three different Bible studies and we start listening to a couple of different podcasts and we commit to all these different things that we know are not sustainable, but we're trying to manufacture God's presence in our life if we don't feel it. And here's the reality. I think in most cases with, with electronic devices or even with our own spiritual life, the first step in any troubleshooting manual is just to unplug. Just unplug and reset and then plug back in. And so this, this morning what we're going to do is we're going to talk about what it means to kind of unplug. And I'll be real honest with you guys. I, I struggled writing this sermon because I was really trying to combine two thoughts into one, right? There's two different ways to kind of look at this, and we could talk about the spiritual aspect of unplugging and getting away and finding your prayer closet and dealing with things on a level that removes anything unnecessary, and that way you can focus on who God is and what he has for you. And then we could talk about the cultural aspects of unplugging, getting away from the noise and the distractions and the busyness and finding real peace and real rest. And I wrote, and I'd write about, I don't know, a page and a half, two pages, and I'd delete it. And I'd write, and I'd write a couple pages and delete it. And it just kind of hit me. Like, it just kind of dawned on me. Matt, you're the pastor. You can preach both, right? You can just do two sermons. And so what today is, and I don't say that, I don't say that like, oh, I'm the pastor. I can do it. That's not what I mean. Here's what I do. So this speaks really into the situation that I was feeling and, and the, 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 the tension that was there is uh, I, I worked really well with a schedule. I'm not really great at making schedules, but I work really well within a schedule. So at the beginning of summer, knowing what this fall held for us, I spent weeks praying and calendaring and figuring out what it is that we were going to do as a church for our own family. Uh, and so uh, I know what I have to preach from now to the end of the year. Like I've got a schedule and I've got, a, I've got kind of roughly outlined of what I'm going to talk about from week to week. And it's flexible in a sense that I know that if something happens and we need to replace or we need to shuffle around, we can. But in, in one sense, I'm very, I'm very locked into that schedule. And the tension that I was feeling was not being able to break out of that schedule. I was spinning my wheels this week, really struggling. Like, I don't know. I don't want to get off. I don't want to push back a week. And it was almost like God just said, hey, listen, why don't you practice what you're preaching and just calm down for a second and preach both. And so this week is, uh, if you will, reboot unplugged one. <laughs> and next week will be the sequel. Uh, hopefully not like a horrible movie sequel, but a good unplugged two. We're going to talk about the cultural aspects next week. We're going to talk about the noise of culture and all the things that we need to turn off and that we need to unplug in our own real life. Uh, but this morning, what I want us to do is I want us to walk through what it means to unplug spiritually, what it means to have this kind of real, it's kind of real spiritual reboot in our life. And if you're a note taker this morning, it's going to be real easy because they're, uh, they're all the letter P, okay? And so you're going to be able to take three simple points uh, that will kind of walk us through this. And when you know, 
that Jesus gives us a really great example of what it looks like to unplug. In a couple of different circumstances throughout Scripture, we see him do this very event. And so we're going to be kind of turning back and forth at a couple of different places throughout the Gospels this morning. So just kind of keep your Bible handy and ready. If you don't have one, they'll be all on the screen. Uh, let's start with Matthew chapter 4, okay? And so let me give you where we are in the story, the overall unfolding story of Jesus. And in Matthew chapter 3, just one chapter back, um, John the Baptist, we're introduced to John the Baptist, right? John the Baptist's ministry of baptizing and repentance, uh, his message of repent for the kingdom of God is near, right? He's, he's going around. John the Baptist has disciples who are following him. Uh, like any good teacher in the day had people who were following him around. John had uh, men who were following him around. And he was going around baptizing people in the name of repentance, knowing that something was coming. And if you talk to John, John would say, I'm not the man, right? We have that recorded for us in Scripture. There's one who's coming after me whose sandals I am not fit to untie, right? And so John knows that he's not it, but he's got this message. He's this precursor to the message. And so as he's going around, Jesus sees him. And John has this incredible declaration, Behold, the Son of Man, you know, the Son of God who comes to take away the sins of the world. And then Jesus approaches John and says, Hey, man, I want you to baptize me. And John resists at first, right? I remember the story. He says, no, if there's anybody, you need to baptize me. And Jesus says, no, this is right. Let's do it. And so John baptizes Jesus in the river. And the Bible says that the heavens opened and a dove, remember the dove descends and lands on Jesus. And the voice of God is heard. Now, this is not just heard to a couple of people. That's whoever is around heard God from heaven speak and say, this is my son, whom I love and with whom I am well pleased, right? We know that verse out of the Bible. Now, there are some people that in this moment, they believe that, um, that Jesus was just a man until the dove descended on him. This is, a, this is a, a belief called adoptionism, and I know that doesn't mean anything to you, but just hear me out. They believe that Jesus was just a man until the Christ, the spirit of the Christ, landed on him as a dove. And adoptionism even goes a step further, saying that, that he was not God until he resurrected. Okay? We do not believe that. Okay? It's, not, it's not what Scripture teaches. It's not what uh, the church believes. It's not if you go all the way through the early church. That's not what we believe as a church. We believe that Jesus was the incarnate Son of God in the womb of Mary. When it says the virgin will conceive and she will be with child, that means in that moment, Jesus, the Son of God, the, the eternal Son of God, was presence in the womb of Mary. And so from the moment that he took his first heartbeat to the moment he took his first breath, even before all of that, he was divinely God. Okay? And so when this moment happened, this was a marker moment, just like we talked about earlier with Ryder and with Sophie. This was a marker moment in the life of Jesus of saying, listen, this is what I'm about to do. I'm about to set out into changing everything, and I'm not, I'm not going to hide back in a corner anymore. I'm going to stand boldly in front of everybody and let that be known. As just a matter of fact, just for your own personal notes, adoptionism was deemed a heresy in the early 300s, even though some people still believe it today. Okay, and So just know that uh, the early church shut that down as soon as they could, but, uh, but we believe that from the very moment that Jesus was... Uh, conceived he was divine, okay? And so Jesus just gets baptized by John. At the end of John chapter or at the end of Matthew chapter 3, we see this incredible moment and then then 
Look what happens. Matthew chapter 4, verse 1. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. Jesus went out by himself to the desert. As a matter of fact, Mark's account of this event, Mark chapter 1, verse 13, says he was with the wild animals and the angels attended him. In other words, he was alone. For our purpose this morning, he was unplugged in the most extreme way. Now, if you're familiar with the passage in Matthew, then you know that, uh, that Jesus stayed out in the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights, and the enemy took advantage of that time alone to try to tempt him, right? We remember this. Tempted by hunger, asking to turn the stones to bread. Tempted by testing God, throw yourself off the temple, and the angels will tend to you. And then he tested him by gaining power and influence. If you'll only bow down to me and worship me, I will give you all the kingdoms of the earth. And every time Jesus obviously answered him with scripture, incredibly, uh, about how that's not going to happen. And he withstood all of that, which is incredible. But the question has to be asked, why? Why did he go out alone at this moment? Why did he choose to seclude himself? I mean, if you think about it, he, he literally just announced to the entire known world, we had this announcement from God himself, this is my son, right, whom I love. And we had all this, what felt like building momentum. And, and everybody who's around thinks, okay, this is it. He's about to come in. He's about to clean house. He's about to take over. This is our moment. This is our starting moment. And then it says the very next verse that he went away by himself. He did just the opposite of what everybody expected him to do. And I think that he, he secluded himself to prepare for what was coming next. So here's my first point, my first P word. We need to unplug to prepare, right? This wilderness event was recorded in Matthew chapter 4, Mark chapter 1, and Luke chapter 4. If you know your scripture, if you know your gospels, that's pretty early in the account of what all is happening in the life of Jesus. So what happens next after the wilderness? Everything, right? Everything happens next. This is the very first thing that happens. And so before uh, the calling the disciples, before performing miracles, before healing people and feeding people and preaching and teaching and challenging the Pharisees and the Sadducees, before co- kind of correcting the course of all humanity, before his death and burial and resurrection, before all of that, Jesus secluded himself. He unplugged from everything to prepare for what was going to happen Next. And so I believe that I believe that if Jesus does that, when there's major things happening in our life, maybe we should follow that model. And maybe we should kind of just unplug from everything and really tap into what God wants for us for a little while. Notice that once he un- unplugged, the enemy tried to attack, right? If, if I, I, I say this with all the love that when you step out in faith and when you try to reboot your life and you try to negotiate some alone time with God, you are placing a target on your back for the enemy. He's going to come after you. He, he, is, he is trying his very best to deter that moment in your life. He's trying to throw you off track because if he can get you then before you start doing what God wants, then you'll never accomplish what God wills for you. And so I say this, expect it and do it anyway, right? Get ready for what's going to happen. 
when you try to unplug and you try to pull away and you try to prepare, you feel like God's doing something. I don't know what it is, but it's something big. I need to just kind of spend some time. I just need to prepare for what's next. But here's what's really great. If you've got your Bible, flip over to Luke chapter 6. He prepared himself, but also he did something else really incredible. Look, Luke 6, chapter, uh, chapter 6, verse 12. One of those days, Jesus went out to the mountainside to pray and spent the night praying to God. When the morning came, he called his disciples to him and chose 12 of them, whom he also designated apostles. After this, the Bible says that he lists them out, all 12 guys by name. Now, what's incredible here is that Jesus spent the night alone on a mountainside in prayer, but not, this time not for himself. This time for these men, right? He spent time alone praying over and praying for these men. So let me just say it like this. Some of you need to unplug. Some of you need to reboot so that you can pray for and pray over your own family. So that you can pray for and pray over your husband and your wife and your kids. You need to spend some time alone with the Father. Jesus wasn't sitting in the side of a desert on the side of a mountain, you know, watching uh, season one of Jerusalem's Got Talent and drinking a Diet Coke and eating hot Cheetos. He wasn't just hanging out. He wasn't just zoning. He was spending time praying over and praying for the men that he was about to call out to an incredible service for him. Listen, we all know the story of what happened with the disciples. All but one was martyred. All but one was, was killed for their faith. He knew what these men were about to face, and he spent an entire night by himself, alone with God. He was in spending intentional, prayerful, focused time for the benefit of the people who were the closest to him. I think the greatest preparation that you can provide for your family is covering them with prayer. The greatest preparation that you can provide for your family is covering them with prayer. Spending some time alone. Praying for your kids. Listen, if you don't know, then you've been living under a rock. <laughs> but the world is against kids right now. There are schools in California that have litter boxes in their public restrooms now. Did you know that? For the kids who identify as cats. It's, it's funny, but it's not. It's almost child abuse because their parents are letting them do this. The world is against your kids. That's elementary schools, by the way. If you're not spending time praying over your kids, then you are missing it. And I'll just say it because I can. <laughs> it doesn't matter how old your kids are. I don't care if you're grown. I don't care if they've got kids of their own. The world is still against them. If you don't know it, then you're living under a rock that the world is against your marriage. If you don't believe it, open any social media outlet. Open any browser And there'll be these ads that pop up or there'll be all these little things that try to distract them. 
You'll be happier if you had somebody else. You'll be happier if this person looked like this. You'll be happier if you were alone. You can make only your own decisions. You watch TV for long enough. Live the Kardashian life and you'll be <laughs> happy. I don't know. You should be praying for your marriage. You be praying for your spouse, your husbands, and your wives. You should be praying over what they have to deal with every day, the people that they encounter, for their spiritual health. You should be covering them with prayer, preparation for other. Jesus unplugged from everybody and had some focused, prepared time for what God had for him and for the people who was closest to him. We have to follow suit. So here's number two. To prepare, the second one is to process. This is probably one of my favorite uh, kind of under-the-radar verses about Jesus. Flip back over to Matthew chapter 14. Matthew 14 tells us about the death of John the Baptist. Incredibly, we just talked about the beginning of John the Baptist and how we were introduced to him. But 14 tells us about how he died. I'm not going to get into the details of this. Just know it's kind of a creepy story about Herod and his uh, arrogance about Herod's uh, sister and uh, their, his, her daughter and some kind of inappropriate things that happen. It's just kind of weird. Just read it later. Um, but regardless, um, Herod has John the Baptist beheaded in prison. And uh, the disciples of John, remember he had guys who were following him, come and they find Jesus just because not tell him. Say, listen, this is what's happened. John is now dead. And then verse 13 says this. When Jesus heard what had happened, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. I mean, he hears about his friend, his relative in every sense of the word. His parents and John's parents were related. And most people say they were cousins, probably close to that, if not second or third cousins. Hears about his friend and his met this awful, horrible end to his life. And Jesus, who's the Son of God, the creator of all things, withdraws by himself to a solitary place to mourn the passing of his friend. He just needed to process it all. This isn't an isolated reaction. Remember when he was told about Lazarus who had died four days early, had been buried for four days, and the Bible says that Jesus wept, right? It's the shortest verse in the entire Bible. Jesus wept. But this one, I think, when he reacts to John, he reacts in, in probably the way that speaks to us at a very, very deep level. Because I think some of us just need to unplug just to process what's all going on in our life. There's a lot that happens around us, and we need some time alone, or I would even say with our family, and I'm not talking about going on vacation, I'm not talking about going and doing something fun, I'm not talking about going and doing anything, I'm just saying unplugging for a little while, just to process what's happening in your life. We've all experienced this, I think, before on some level or another, life changes in a moment, and everything that we thought we knew is now flipped on its head. And the best thing that we can do is just kind of take a minute and process all the feelings and the emotions. All the, all the what-if scenarios and all the, all the what-could-be's. What does this mean? What's God trying to do? We just need to process and we need to unplug from all the activity that's scheduled and just have a moment 
to process. And I love this is what exactly I believe what Jesus is doing, and it shows so much of Jesus' humanity. Like we understand, like I talked about earlier, that, that Jesus was always divinely God. Like he always knew. But in his humanity, he never disconnected his humanity from his divinity. He experienced all the things that we experience. He, he experienced the emotions and the happiness and the tears and all the things that we go through. He went through. And when he heard the news about his friend, he just needed a moment. He just needed a second. He says he got in a boat and he kind of rode out. and He just kind of had some time by ourselves. A solitary place, the Gospel of John says, was a mountain. The Gospel of Luke says he called it a city called Bethsaida. Right? Either way, uh, he went to kind of the northeast corner of the Sea of Galilee. And regardless of where it was, the crowd found him, right? Let me just say this because I, I can't say this and not address this. You can't stay gone too long. I mean, this. some of us like to unplug and just hole up. And we dig ourselves a hole there. We can't do that. We can unplug. We can process. We can take a minute. We can talk to God. We can figure out what and how the change and all the good and the bad and the ugly of it. But we can't get lost in the process of processing. Does that make sense? You can't get lost in the process of processing. You can't stay gone forever. But you can unplug for a minute. But look what happens. Verse 13, when Jesus heard what had happened, he withdrew by a boat privately to a solitary place. Hearing of this, the crowds followed him on foot from the towns. Of course they did, right? Of course they did. I mean, this is the guy who's radically changing everything. He's the promised Messiah. He's been doing all these miracles. He's been te teaching all this stuff that flips everything on its head. And, and he's the one that we've been waiting for for so long. And we're going to follow him. I don't, if he gets in the boat, we'll walk around. We'll figure a way to get there. So don't blame the crowd because we probably would have all done the same thing, right? But catch what it says next. After hearing this, the crowds followed him on foot to the towns. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them and healed they're sick. Now, when we read this, we go, what? Like, what would you have done? Like, if you, you were just trying to get away, you were just trying to process something, these people, they just won't leave you alone, right? Here they keep coming, and you're trying to row. Most of us would row the other direction, right? We'd go another way. We, we avoid aisles at Walmart to keep away from people that we don't want to talk to. Jesus is going to row the boat the other direction, right? If he's us. We would, we would try to get kind of snappy with our, just give me a minute. I just need a minute. But notice that Jesus doesn't do that. He's always available to us. Isn't that great? Since he saw the crowd, he didn't, he didn't ignore them or pretend that they weren't there. He had compassion on them. Which means he understood what they really needed. Here's a bonus word. Uh, I told you it was three Ps, but really it's four, but it's in the same point. To process and gain perspective. See, I did that, just another word on that point. Jesus had to gain some perspective. Not, not that Jesus didn't understand what was going on, but when he saw the crowd, he had, he had compassion. See, perspective is the outcome of processing well. Perspective is the outcome of processing. 
We either understand things on God's level or at least we submit to it whether we understand it or not. See, that's perspective. It's really hard to gain that when you're spinning your wheels, when you feel like you're stuck. It's something that comes with unplugging, processing. It says he had compassion on them and he healed their sick. He loved them and he helped them. That's perspective. He could have said, y'all just give me till tomorrow. Y'all just go home. Let me have a minute. But he got to a solitary place. He processed and he gained some perspective. When he saw that crowd, he knew, man, they need something. They need something in this moment because, because they heard the news about John too. They were probably thinking, what happens if they catch us? What happens if they catch this teacher, this rabbi? And Jesus sees their fear and he sees their worry and he sees their their deep need for him to do something. And he adds compassion. He loves them and he heals them. Since this is a bonus word, perspective, I'm going to give you a bonus perspective. What Jesus did next after having compassion, after healing their sick. Uh, if you were to keep reading in this passage, as he feeds the 5,000, which is incredible. It's really probably closer to eight to 12,000 because they only counted the men. And so there's 5,000 men, not counting the women and children who are present. And perspective is understanding the bigger picture. Jesus understood that there was something more important that needed to happen here. That he needed to prove himself in an incredible way. Nobody's ever done anything like that before. Fish and bread, one little snack, fed that many people. He, he had perspective that this is a moment that he could take advantage of to show who God is and how God was using him to reveal himself. It's an incredible moment. This leads me to my last point, and we're going to use the same passage of Scripture to start off, so let's just kind of stay where you are there in Matthew 14. After the news about John, after trying to figure out this, or trying to find this solitary place, and the crowds following him, and the processing, the perspective gaining, the compassion, the healing, the feeding, Jesus does probably the most important part of unplugging, and it kind of goes without saying. So we've got to prepare, we've got to process, and we have to pray. I know some of you go, well, Matt, that's pretty trivial. That's no, no kidding. That's what we've been doing this whole time. But let's, let's read what he, has, what he does. Chapter 14, verse 22. says, immediately Jesus made the disciples get in the boat. This is after he fed the 5,000. Immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. And when evening came, he was there alone. He dismisses everybody. He says, disciples, y'all just go ahead. I'll catch up. Y'all just go, I just need a second. And he goes up and he prays. If you don't hear anything this morning, I hope you hear this, that when we're feeling spiritually stuck and we're not growing and we're not deepening and everything kind of just seems off and you think, yeah, I need this reboot, then, then we need to unplug and we need to spend some time in prayer, right? 
And, and I know you're like, I, I get it, man. That's super simple and that's super easy. But here's what I'm going to say. I'm not talking about grace before you eat. And I'm not talking about a three-minute prayer before you go to bed. I'm talking about a, a deep moment of intentional prayer. When you are on your face before God and you're honestly being transparent with your life and you're laying out requests and you're, and you're working through you know, maybe the adoration and the praise and all the things that we do and talk about who God is. Pray scripture back to God, right? That's a great, that's a great model. When's the last time When's the last time you spent an hour in prayer? I know it seems like a lot. Especially in our lives, you're like, when do I have an hour? I don't, I don't have an hour. I'm busy from the time I get up to the time I go to bed. I've got kids, we've got schedules, we've got ball, we've got all this stuff that's going on. I get it. When's the last time you spent 30 minutes? Most of the time it's on your way to work in the car. You know, you're just kind of praying through things. Or maybe it's just a quick little... God, you got to help me through this. The Bible says Luke 16 or Luke 5:16 says Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. This was not an isolated instance in his life. It happened often, as in a lot. Jesus would just go away and pray by himself. The reason why I ask about an hour is because like it's it's just it's written in the scripture, and so we have to ask about it. Matthew chapter 26, flip over there, and this will be our last passage of scripture. Jesus is about to be arrested, right? We know this story. He's gone uh, to the garden with the, the, the disciples. He's, he's taking them to pray. And keep in mind that he's already told them what's about to happen, right? I'm about to be arrested. I'm about to be crucified. On the third day, I'm going to come back to life. He's kind of spoken that into them uh, time and time again. Matthew 26, 36 says this. Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and two sons of Zebedee, that's James and John, along with him and began to be sorrowful and troubled. And he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little further, he fell on his face to the ground and prayed, Father, if it's possible, let this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. We're all familiar with this, right? This is where the Bible speaks about him sweating drops of blood and and, and being just so in agony over about what was going to happen. He knew what was going to happen. And if you know the rest of the story, you know Jesus comes back. And he finds Peter, James, and John, his three closest companions, his three closest guys. And they were asleep. And Jesus says, can you not keep watch with me for one hour? So this one hour time frame is legitimately normal to Jesus. He's like, this is just an hour. Could you not just keep watch for one hour? And he goes back and he prays some more and he comes back and he finds them asleep again. <laughs> and I can already hear your excuses, right? Because I've got them too. I'm too busy. I'm too distracted. Too many people need me. Uh, they need you more than Jesus. They need you more than your family needs you to be praying. I'm all over the place. My mind won't even focus for that. Listen, I, I am the world's worst. You guys know. I've told you this a thousand times in here. I'm a slow reader. Not because I don't know how to read. P.S. But because my mind just goes 50 different directions. I start, especially like a story, like a, you know, like a story story, not like a, an educational or a spiritual deep reading book where you're trying to learn something. 
if I'm just reading a book just to try to read for the fun of it, I'll start thinking about how the characters should develop in other different areas. The author's not even taking them there. And before I know, I've been staring at the same page for 45 minutes and I've only read a paragraph. But when we feel all over the place like that, isn't the answer to that just to stop and pray? We feel like we're bouncing from one thing to the other and our life is too chaotic. Doesn't it point to the fact that we need to stop and pray? Isn't that another reason why you need to unplug? Because you've got too many things running in your head. And so I'm going to say this with love and, and I hear, please hear me. Don't bring weak excuses to God why you can't. Don't bring weak excuses of why you don't have enough time. Because nothing's more important than this. Nothing's more important. I'm going to wrap this up, and, and I, I, don't want to, I don't ever want to wrap up with an unattainable application, right? Because some of y'all heard that hour in prayer, and you're like, checked out. You're done. You're like, okay, preacher, it's time to go to the restaurant. I'm, I can't do this. <laughs> like, I, there's no way that I can pray for an hour. And I'm not saying you have to pray for an hour or God's going to be mad at you. That's not what I'm saying. If that's what you heard, then you're not hearing my heart. <laughs> Please understand. Just start somewhere. You got to start somewhere. Because this is how Jesus handled Peter, James, and John. I love this. After coming back and waking them up, can you not stay up with her an hour? He goes back and he prays again. And he comes back and they're sleeping again. And look at what 43 says. When he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. So he left them. And he went away once more and prayed the third time, saying the same thing. I love he doesn't come back and, and kick Peter. And, and kind of scold them or, 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 or get on to them or shame them or say, what's wrong with you guys? Why can't you do this? It says, he found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy, meaning he knew they were exhausted. He, he knew that they were tired. He knew what this day was going to hold for them. He wasn't shaming them. He lovingly let them sleep. And he returned back to prayer. God knows us. He knows what we can do. He knows our heart. He knows what, uh, what, what is really a part of us. So if you're praying, listen, if you're praying and you fall asleep, what better way to fall asleep than talking to the Father? If it's 11 o'clock at night and you're just like, man, I did not spend any time in prayer today. I'm going to pray. And then about three sentences deep, you are out. That's okay. God's not going to shame you for that. But you're your attention to the need of prayer in your life is what he wants to see in your heart. And he wants to see that manifested in deeper and deeper ways. Billy Graham, everybody knows Billy Graham. Billy Graham fam famously said, I cannot start my day without four hours of prayer. <laughs> I think, Billy, there's days I'm happy to get four hours of sleep. He's, he gets up at four. And from four until eight, he does nothing but pray. Did nothing but pray. I can't do that. I'll just be real honest with you. I'm a pastor. I've, I've been a believer since I was six years old, and there's not a chance in the world I could spend four hours praying. Maybe once, maybe. But every day, there's not a chance. He didn't start with four hours, he started just praying. And it developed into this 
deep need in his life that he said, yeah, this is probably really important. I need, this, I need to devote a little bit more time to this. So this means that, if, that whatever's going on, then you allocate time to pray. Even if it's, I'm going to get up 15 minutes early. 15 minutes before the kids get up, before the house comes alive, I'm just going to get up, I'm going to drink some coffee, and I'm just going to spend some time praying. Then do it. Because when you pray, you're not just, you're not just talking to an empty room. You're speaking to the one who loves you more than you can ever even know. He knows your struggle. He knows what you're feeling. He knows what you're up against. He knows the reboot that you need in your life. He knows all the fears that you have, all the what-ifs that you're facing. He knows the, the rut that you're in and the wheels that you're spinning. He knows all that. And we're just coming to him going, hey, you know what? I need you. I need you today in these different areas. I need some wisdom in these different areas. I need you to provide in this. I need you to understand. I, I just need you. He's not condemning you. He's loving you. He's not shaming you. He's patient with you. And I think just like the, the, the disciples in the garden, when our eyes are heavy or when our lives are heavy, he just loves us. He loves us. It's an incredible thought when you think about what Jesus was about to do and what he was praying through, asking his best friends to pray with him. And they kept falling asleep. And he knew, and they're only humans. They're tired. There's a lot on them right now. When God sees us, I think he sees us in our deep need for him. And he says, they're humans. And they need me. And the Bible says, when we seek him, we will find him. So we pray. We pray to, pray to prepare. We pray to process. And we pray to speak to the Father. So just unplug from everything that's going. And I think he sees that. Next week, we're going to talk about how do we do that? What's the real cultural application of that? How do we turn off the noise and listen to the only voice that matters? But this morning, here's what I don't want to do. I don't want to skip over this. And so TJ's going to come. Uh, we're going to have a moment of invitation. And here's what I want us out of this. I, I want us to recognize why we need to unplug. Maybe some of you say, listen, my schedule this, my, my kids schedule this, we've got this, we've got that. I don't have time. Yes, you do. You make time. Don't bring a weak excuse of why you can't. Some of us just need to spend some time alone with God to prepare for this week. Maybe this week's a big week. Maybe you're just trying to process last week. You're trying to catch up. But we, we literally are unarmed if we don't have this time alone with God. And too many, too many times, it's the last thing on our list. Everything gets bumped because we've got other things to do and this is the most important thing if Jesus withdrew often to lonely places to pray then we should too and so for maybe for some of us it's just a confessional moment of God I'm sorry I haven't been I've been trying to figure this out on my own I've been peppering you in when I needed you but I've not been accessing you from the beginning and so maybe you just need to confess maybe some of you go listen I don't even know 
what this means. I, I try to pray. I don't even know if I'm praying to anybody. How, does he, how do I even know if he's hearing me? I'd love to answer questions. I'd love to talk to you through that. But the reality is I think a lot of us in here would say, I really can't pray because I've got this that's in the way. I've got this sin struggle. I've got this obstacle between me and God. And I've been trying to get rid of it for a long time, but I can't do it. And the answer to that is you're right. You can't. That's where you pray and just say, God, I need you to remove this. Whatever it is, whether it's people, whether it's addiction, whether it's popularity, whether it's something that you did a long time ago that you feel like is still in the way, prayer removes that. God removes that. So don't let anything stand in the way. We're going to have just a real solemn moment of response here. I'm going to ask TJ to come. You guys stand with me and bow your heads. This is a prayerful response to an unplugged moment. So I'm not I'm going to even have you sing. TJ's going to sing over us. You can keep your head down and your eyes closed. And just for a few minutes, we're just going to unplug as a church. As a body that just says, you know what, we can't do this on our own. If you need to come to the altar and pray, you're welcome to do that. This is always a place. There's nothing magical about the altar. It just kind of is a moment of a place of surrender. It's, it's, a, it's an incredible thing to do. If you need to come pray here, you can. If you want me to pray with you, I'll pray with you. Maybe you need to grab your husband or your wife and pray with them. Maybe wrap up your kids and pray over them. This is your opportunity. Don't just blow through this because it's a part of the service. Take advantage of this moment and let's pray. Father, we love you. And God, our lives are crazy hectic and they're crazy busy and they are all over the place. But God, this moment is really the only moment that matters. We get to focus in on you and what you are and what you've done how you've loved us, how you've redeemed us. God, the grace that you've given us and the mercy that we live in that we do not deserve. God, we just want to settle here for a few moments. God, I know that there are a lot of folks here this morning, maybe in a million different places. Maybe our minds and our hearts are in a million different places. But God, this is a deep need in our soul. We just need to unplug and spend some moments with you. And so, God, today I pray that we establish a pattern in our life of preparing and processing and praying with you. God, that we don't run to our friends, that we don't run and try to figure things out on our own. God, that our first stop is with you. And so, Father, as, uh, as we've seen Jesus' example this morning, I pray that it's connected some dots to us. That maybe, maybe we need to confess, maybe we just need to... Maybe we just need to spend some time. God, don't let us blow through this moment, Father. If there's somebody who needs to come and ask questions, if somebody who needs to come and ask about baptism or church membership or what it means to be saved or how do we know that we're praying to God, God, I'd love to answer those questions. This is your opportunity to speak to our heart. Don't let us pass over it. It's in Jesus' name we pray. If you would, just keep your head down and your eyes closed. TJ's going to sing over us. If you need to come, you come.
This is your opportunity to respond to what God's doing.